0: launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I know you're going to love this one. I am bringing back behind the microphones a gentleman who probably doesn't need any introduction. And for those who've been a follower of our podcast for a couple of years now, you've heard us talk about the name Samson Liu and So Dental on several occasions. Dr. Liu is an accomplished clinician, an unbelievable business owner, and a dynamic individual. He's got a story that is hands down one of the the greatest uh, uh, that I've heard in the industry. And he is gonna share some wealth and knowledge on today's show about how to build a business and build it rapidly all using debt funds. This will surely be a note-taking episode. So get your pad and pen ready another wonderful cup of that mila coffee the group practice accelerator podcast is on the air and welcome everybody once Hello. again to the group practice accelerator podcast i am your host Perrin desports and as i teased in the introduction i'm joined by dr samson Liu of so dental a name that probably many of you know or have seen on stage or possibly even Heard on our podcast before, Samson. Thanks so much for a little time this afternoon. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Pan. Uh, love to be here again, and uh, looking forward to share some more of my uh, failures and experiences with everybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're you're a, you're a modest man, that's for sure, and and uh, you always share so many pearls of wisdom. And yours is um, really. I, unbelievable is too grandiose a word but it's such a compelling story um from your journey to canada to your journey to dental school to your journey to heartland dental and now your journey into so dental and i I wonder if we can't touch on a little bit of all of that today and somehow still keep this within about 30 minutes or so but for those um in our (laughs) audience samson that that Either they're not familiar with you or they haven't seen you uh, or, or uh, heard you on our podcast before. Give us a little bit of background about your journey um, as as a young man coming in North America and, and sort of that initial phase for you, because it's, it's truly remarkable.
1: Absolutely. So I was uh, I was born in Hong Kong and then I moved to Canada when uh, when I was a teenager. And I got into dental school because as Asian parents go, my parents always wanted me to become a doctor of some kind. So, you know, one thing led to another. I discovered dentistry. I applied for dental school and went to Northwestern in in Chicago. And once I graduated from from, uh, Chicago, I needed a job because as a Canadian, I am not allowed to work in the States unless someone sponsors me a green card. So my first job was with Heartland Dental, and back in 1999, uh, the reason for that is uh, they were the only ones that were willing to apl- to apply for intern for me. So it's like I got a job, they got a dentist, so I applied. and one thing next thing you knew, one year turned to two, turned to three, and I end up staying at Heartland Dental for 18 plus years, and uh, I met my wife uh, to a dental school and she also worked for heartland part-time when i was there and so one thing led to another i uh, left heartland in 2018 and started my own company soh dental or soul dental and fast forward to today it's five years in and here we are
0: wow i mean that's uh that's a that's a rapid rise and there are not too many people who can tell the heartland story going all the way back to to 1999 like that so let's let's take um that piece for just a a quick second and can you kind of narrate the journey that you had at Heartland? because you were growing quickly clinically and and as a business leader and everything and and you held a number of different roles but the company was also um uh growing quickly and and morphing from you know, one business into uh, a larger business to a national pro- uh, prominent business and and a, and a real um, uh, uh, you know name brand uh, across our industry. So I wonder if you couldn't tell just a little bit about uh, your journey within Heartland and the Heartland journey overall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, so I joined Heartland as a new grad, and uh, they put me in an office in Champaign at the time. Heartland was about two years in existence, so they have a, maybe 13 to 15 locations. So I joined a uh, a group at the time, of, you know, they called them Dental Management Organization at the time, and uh, it was a very interesting experience to start with because I've always been taught in dental school to, you got to open your own practice, you know, if you work for someone else, it's a failure, and that's kind of a very typical dental school uh theme at the t- time now this is a little different of course so when i joined heartland you know i had a lot of colleagues like you know why would you do that you know join a group you know you can't make it on your own but when i joined Heartland, what i discovered you know the the, the wonderful uh experience of peer-to-peer mentoring and peer-to-peer relationship it's a little bit like dental school continuing on to into professional life. so i really fell in love with the group practice model where you know you have a group of colleagues where you can reach out to for questions and answers you have study clubs and doctor dinners and such so i really like the group practice model and at the time you know i was still under the influence of the dental school mindset well even though i like the model but i'm just going to be here to work a year maybe two and that's it i'm going to leave and Get my visa and open my own practice. You know, I was pretty naive at the time. However, you know, things changed later on. But in the beginning, when I first joined Heartland, I really wasn't too too paying too much attention to what they were teaching me, the systems they were talking about, and things like that. So, the most interesting story that I think parents, you know, refer to is my first encounter with Doctor Workman, who is the founder of Heartland Dental Care. You know, as, as, as a lot of you know, because my first encounter with Dr. Workman was when he was teaching patient in Effingham. And unfortunately, being a 25-year-old, know-it-all, I wasn't pe- really paying attention to what he was talking about. And I fell asleep in, in class while he was teaching. And I'm sure a lot of you can can uh, relate to that because you know I fell asleep a lot in dental school. I just kind of carried that experience <laughs> forward to to my professional career. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, I fell asleep. Next thing you know, someone taps me on my shoulder and say, hey, you know, you wake up. I look up and nobody's in the class except me. And she said, Dr. Workman wants to see you in his office. And I was like, oh, crap. You know, my 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 visa is going out the window was my first thought. <laughs> my, my second thought was, oh, crap, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> anyway, so I walk into his office like, like a student in the principal's office. And he was so passionate and he actually literally changed the course of my career at that moment. He was very passionate and very outspoken about his aspirations and ambitions to take Heartland Dental to the next level. I still remember he told me, you know, in not so many words that he wanted to take Heartland Dental to be a thousand practices by 2010, and I had no idea what he was talking about at the time. He was a visionary for sure, but I wasn't. So I had no idea What he was talking about is 25-year-old new grad. All I remember was that he pissed me off badly because I was really mad about him thinking that I was not a good dentist and I might not make it in this company because I fell asleep. I was ashamed of me sleeping, but I was really upset that he looked down on what my potential future could be. So I walked out of there. He did not fire me, but I kind of woke up Literally and figuratively about what I want to do with the rest of my career. My first thought was I wanted to be the best clinician that Dr. Workman's ever seen. So, with that one moment in, in my life, it changed my trajectory because I went back to the office in Champaign, Illinois, and then I was in Springfield, Missouri. So, I moved after a few months and I said to my team, I want us to be the number one practice in the company at the time. And my team looking at me like, who is this 25 year old doctor thinks he is, that he can be the best office. And I'm working with a bunch of experienced assistants and team members. So, but I said, we're gonna figure this out. So I spent the next year working and learning the best that I can from everybody in the company, other doctors, other assistants, other administrators, Anything I could get my hands on, I learned. My whole goal was like, what can I do better, faster, more efficiently to increase my patient care and increase productivity as a dentist? So I did. One year later, we uh, produced close to $1.7 million, which is pretty significant. I didn't realize at the time for a practice to do over 1.7 million dollars in 2000, the year 2000, is pretty unheard of. Or I was told that if you can do that at that era, it's probably a top 5%, if not top 2% of the industry. I was like, I don't know. But all I care about is did I win the best practice in Heartland? Because (laughs) my whole point was I wanted to show Dr. Workman that I am the best dentist that he he ever encountered. And I don't want I don't want him to think that I was somebody else otherwise. So my goal was very simple. When we have a company-wide meeting at the end of that year, I was going to step on stage and enjoy my best practice award from the company. And I'm going to tell everybody what Dr. Woodman said about me, how he thought I was nobody and that I was slipping in his class. And that was my ultimate uh, revenge or ultimate you know, personal revenge. Anyways, so that was kind of how I started with the relationship with Dr. Workman. Unfortunately, my dream did not come true. When I got to the company meeting at the end of the first year, we did not win the best practice in Heartland. We were actually number two. Someone else did 1.9 million and very disappointed. My whole team knew I was going for that goal. We wore the same t-shirts. I even wrote a speech about what what I was going to say. And I actually put it in my, pocket, in my chest pocket because I was ready to go on stage and talk about my experience on that first day and my first encounter with Dr. Workman. Unfortunately, we did not win. I was very disappointed. My team knew about it. But we rallied and regrouped. We went back to the office and we had another come to Jesus meeting. And we say, we are going to be $2 million next year. And we're going to do this all over again. We can do better. We will be better. And we figure out more systems and efficiencies. You know, things that we don't do in the past, you know, scheduling patients to come back before they leave the office, things that were very simple and common sense but most offices do not do, we make sure we do every single thing that we can to make sure we have the highest recapture rate for patients, making sure that we're very efficient with our time. We, You know, we do all kinds of – clock, you know, timing on procedures, figure out how to squeeze more time for patients every visit and more productivity every visit. You know what? Another year passed by, we were at $2.1 million. So we went from first year dental school, $1.7 million, second year dental school, $2.1 million, which is by that time, I think, you know, we, we we got it. But this time to be really sure, I had my office manager call every office in Heartland Dental because back <laughs> in the day there's no internet and there's no there's no there's no quick you can dial in and look at people's numbers. We're still using fax machines back in the day. So I had my office manager call every single office in Heartland. And by then Heartland has close to 30, 40 locations, maybe even maybe even close to 50. So we made sure we call every office and ask them how did they do this year? What did they do? And I made sure this time at the second all company-wide meeting that we were the best office in Heartland. So you know what? We went back to the meeting the following year. We all sat in the front row, same t-shirts with the same speech in my pocket. And when the announcement came, we won. And I was so excited. I got on stage, I pulled the speech out of my chest pocket. And as I was unfolding it, I just realized something amazing that I would not be standing there that day if it wasn't for the encounter with Dr. Workman. He literally knocked some sense in my head, made me exceed what I thought my potential was, was, which was not what I thought I'd be. If I was fired that day, I may still be a private dentist, owning my own office, like dental school taught me to, and maybe do a million dollars, but never really excel or realize what my real potential could have been. So at that moment, I realized that I am here because there are people that support you and mentor you. And then there are people who will tell you straight, shoot you straight, and tell you, you know, what you don't want to hear. And then guess what? You can be better. And I and that's one reason why at, on that day I did not end up talking about my experience, my first encounter with Dr. Workman on that stage. I instead folded up the speech, put it back in my pocket, and then I thanked my team. I thanked Dr. Workman for the opportunity. And I did not did not say what I wanted to say for the last two years. But the moment I got a stage, I immediately regretted that decision. So I sent the speech to Dr. Workman privately and we did really good friends after that. Yeah. So not oh, I just wanted to know What I was feeling but unknowingly it kind of jump-started my career in a different direction because of the experience and my encounter with Dr. Workman we kind of formed a relationship and I was encouraged to develop systems and processes based on my own office and maybe start mentoring other doctors in the company to even do half of what I would be twice as successful so that's what happened my career launched from being a dentist to now become a dentist and clinical director, and over the years become the vice president of the clinical affairs and the executive vice president. So next thing you know, it's eighteen years, and that's how my career in Heartland got started.
0: Unbelievable! Well, I mean, what a what a journey! Um, what a what a great coming of age type of a story to have that type of. Um, be that self-aware in that type of a moment when you want to deliver one message, and then all of a sudden get the lightning bolt that wait a minute this isn't the time or place, and that's not the appropriate message. Let me express a bit more more gratitude. Um, I, I love the story, and I think it's just it's knowing you as well as I do. It's it's a story that only you could tell. Let's um, let's maybe go back to the the role that you ultimately had um, when you left Heartland, executive VP of Clinical Affairs, and I think this is <clears throat> this is uh, like a role and and a um, uh, uh, an application that I want to spend a little bit of time with because this is one of the areas, Samson, that I think so many of our audience uh, who are typically like uh, in the emerging group phase, you know, they're they're. 2 to 5 2 to 10 type locations um and uh, you know one of the challenges that they all run into is obviously attracting and retaining associates and we talk about you know associate equity solutions and all that kind of jazz when it comes to associates and that that's really only one component of it um it's the component we typically you know so uh, that a client will engage us to deliver but the component that is arguably equally as important, in my opinion, is clinical skill development. And uh, there are are so many young dentists entering the marketplace that are coming out of school um, that, you know, have limited hand speed, limited um, uh, capability, clinical capability, limited confidence, lim- limited um, ability to present treatment and and then you get into the whole uh, expanded clinical envelope of the the clinical skill set that a master clinician has and the ability to do multiple different um, uh, procedures and very complicated stuff. So I think the clinical skill development piece, if you're going to build a group practice is it, it has to be one of the cornerstones of it And I think you grew up in that kind of, uh, role at, at Heartland and are, and are really uh, able to tell this kind of, uh, give this type of guidance to the people in our um, audience about building a clinical skill development program, the, why it's so important and, and equally important, the outcome that you see from it, not just from a standpoint of happy clinicians, but uh, uh, in, in in the quantifiable aspects of productivity. Can you talk just a little bit about your role as as uh, clinical affairs director and ultimately executive vice president—kind of like what all you all did and how you still approach that with your business today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in Heartland, I was working on developing a clinical curriculum for our doctors that's supported by Heartland Dental at the time. the the uh, The thesis was pretty simple. There's always this education should always result in action. So one of the biggest thing that when we first developed the clinician clinician development program is around three areas. How do we develop a a younger associate or new graduate uh, into three categories? How do we develop the clinical skills? How do we develop the business acumen? And how do we develop the leadership skills in the office? And then ultimately the result is how, you know, With those three categories and the skill sets that we will teach them in those three categories, the ultimate goal is how do we improve the efficiency and productivity by a certain amount per day before and after education. So that's kind of how we approach it. For example, from a clinician perspective, based on years of working with younger doctors and new grads, I've noticed, or we've noticed, our clinical team and myself, that they struggle in a clinical perspective is how to do a molar endo, how do you do surgical extraction efficiently and effectively, and how do you do a class two interproximal filling. Those three clinical areas are always the weakest in the first three years of dental school. So on a clinician perspective, on a clinical training perspective, we really try to focus on those areas to begin with. And then the second thing is they never teach much about leadership skills in dental school. I myself learned it the hard way when I got out of dental school and I realized working with seven women and I've never worked with seven women my whole life. And I realized that it's not the same when you don't know what that is. And they certainly do not teach you how to work with seven women in dental school. So we have to teach doctors how to say please and thank you, how to positively reinforce their team versus negatively reinforce their team. So we teach basic fundamental leadership skills first to teach them to be proficient in an environment where they are the leader regardless of what they are or not because they're a doctor by virtue of the position they're a leader of the practice so they have to learn to become a leader and that's what it means to be a doctor-led practice and then the third thing is business acumen one of the benefits that i fell in love with heartland was because of the group practice model gives clinicians access to data points that they would not otherwise have if you ask most private solo practitioners today, how many of them have visited more than 10 offices in their lifetime? Very few will say yes. So to have access to 20, 30, 40, 100 practices, data points without actually visiting those offices is it's basically unfair advantage to a doctor because now you can compare apples to apples. Can we find an office similar to the office you're in and see what they're doing? And they can see what you learn from them and what they can learn from you. So this best practices, sharing, benchmarking is the way of the future in my mind. It's about improving overall quality of care in industry. And I believe that as a whole. But then also individually, if you want to become better, you have to measure before you can improve. And so those are the those are the central concepts in developing a clinician development program when I was with Heartland. And we continue to take that. The One of the things that pull all that together is the relationship piece. It is so important to build a relationship with each doctor because if they don't have a relationship with you and you don't have a relationship with them, they will not trust the, the material that you're sharing, the experiences you're sharing, and they're not afraid to come forth with the failures they're experiencing and, and asking for advice. So overall, to wrap that all together, it is important to build a strong doctor culture within the organization. If you don't have a good culture in the organization, none of the other things will work. So it's not always about technical, it's the art of it as well. So that's kind of the tenets of how we build. And if you ask today what we're gonna what we do, this is the things that we always strive towards in Sol Dental.
0: Wow. Um that was probably one of, if not the most comprehensive answers I've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm not now the time I, is up. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, um, I, I have a, I have a feeling that that's going to be uh, about six or seven minutes that people are going to go back and rewind and, and play uh, uh, multiple times. Um, really, a, a great, great answer and great specificity and a, a holistic approach um, that's not just the clinical skill piece. I mean, it is the business acumen, it's the leadership component, the team dynamic. It's, it's the whole thing that is mutually reinforcing. And that's, uh, that's tremendous. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for going that deep and and sharing it. Um, let's, let's maybe, um, transition a little bit and talk a little bit about, uh, so dental, SOH dental, um, your company, uh, and, you know, I'll never forget. Um, you and some of your uh leadership team came and spent a day with us back at the old company about five or six years ago or so. Um, and and I remember hosting you in our conference room, you know, tearing apart some business plans, diving deep into some subject matter, um, and then. Y'all left, and the next thing I knew, I felt like you had like 20 locations. It wasn't immediately, but um, <laughs> you absolutely hit the ground running. And obviously, we've been big fans of yours, and have had the pleasure to work with you on several different projects over the over the years. But let's let's maybe go back to those early Soh days. Um, you know, you you came out of Heartland, uh, tons of experience, tons of leadership experience, um, and and knew. Uh, you know, you had a business plan. You really knew what you wanted to do. Can you, can you maybe take our audience through just the, the early days of getting the the um, the business, the, the footholds of the business set, and and really um, the the foundation laid for what has been um, a, a tremendous growth trajectory over the last couple of years. But maybe take us through that first twelve to twenty-four months, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. When I left Heartland in uh, 2018, we worked with Diwaka and Perrin on a beginning. So I have some core team members that joined me after Heartland to form Soul Dental. So there were there were basically three big challenges in the beginning when I first started Soul Dental. First thing was, funniest thing or not, is the name of the company. What do we name, name the new company? So I thought about several things I wanted the company to be about legacy minded because we are also about supporting offices to continue the legacy. So, why not build a company that's legacy-minded? So I named the company SOH Dental after my three boys. I have three boys named Simon, Oliver, and Henry. And so the initials of each boy makes up the name SOH Dental. I did not want the company name to be about myself because I wanted to be about other people but I also want it to be meaningful. I don't want a geographical you know, tone to it because I don't want people to think that I'm about world domination and about getting bigger, but it's about getting better. So the last thing is, I had no idea what the name is until my youngest boy, Henry, came up to me at his birthday when he turned seven. He came up to me with a can of 7-Up and said, can I drink this? And, he say, and I said, yeah, you drink soda all the time. What's so special about 7-Up? where you said that, well, I'm seven years old now, and this can says seven up. So I'm seven and up, so I can finally drink my first can of seven up. So I look at him, <laughs> and he was he turned seven in 2018. So I look at him, I just like, that's what this is about. I want that story and that feeling when you hear the story to be in that name. So that's why I end up naming the company Soul dental So that's that was the first challenge. So then the second challenge was. My leadership team have great experiences, you know, running multi-site, multi-location practices in various capacities. But all of us look at each other like, "Practice before? No. Have you? No." So we have all these years of years of experience in a DSO capacity, but none of us know how to start one practice, which is pretty hilarious. So that's kind of the reason why we actually sought out Diwaka and Parent and you guys to help us to get going in the beginning because. So we have no idea how to set up our first practice. And so uh, well, thank God, you know, you guys help us and work through that second big biggest problem. The third problem is, okay, now that we know how to own practices, we need to learn how to buy practices because Jim Collins and Good to Good always says that you have to be really good at your own economic engine for the business. If you're not good at it, nothing else matters. So if our det- for the strategic direction of the company is going to be affiliations. We need to learn how to be good at it. Because a lot of people want have different directions. They want to build or they want to buy, or they want to buy and build, which is okay. But for us, our initial strategy was to buy. So then, true to John Maxwell wrote the book Failing Forward is you got to make mistakes to learn from it. And we thought the best way for us to learn how to buy practices is to buy practices. As the dentist, that's how I learn every single procedure and how to get good at it. I don't know how to do a new procedure. I will keep practicing it and practicing till I get good at it and get fast at it and get efficient at it. So to me, I approach the problem of affiliations the same way. So we we decided to come up with a plan. Why don't we buy 20 practices, at least 20 practices in the first 12 months? And for every deal that we make, we learn about that each aspect of the purchase, each aspect of the affiliation process from the legal paperwork to negotiation, to the art of communication, the art of, you know, building a network of relationships. So we work out all those things. So we, true to our word, in 12 months, we bought like 24 locations and uh, we made a lot of mistakes in... Every way you can imagine. but every time we make a mistake or we find out later that we made a mistake because at the time you always think you didn't do it make a mistake, but you always do that you know what? we fell forward again, so that's what happened. We decided to tackle the third problem by building a business development um, engine in the company. So the biggest the biggest reason we do that is we always believe that we should focus from the customer back. If we are going to start, Building a company that is focusing on customer back, we need to start with the first department, which is business development. And then once we buy the offices, now we focus on integrating the twenty offices or so and trying to improve on the system, trying to get synergies, trying to get scale. Because we bought so many in such a short time, it really allow us to unlock additional savings and discounts with vendors that otherwise we may not have accomplished if you only buy one or two practices a year for next ten years. So that was a bonus. And then the third thing is now we need to develop an operational platform to support these offices, which we have a team of. And so that's what we do. We we basically focus on each department at a time, starting with business development to integration, to operational support, and then to the support center, building a platform to support the various aspects of the practices from HR, pay- marketing, to payroll, to accounting. So we tackle all those departmental platforms, one thing at a time, and we develop it over pieces over the first three years. And that was our business plan for the first three years of Soul Dental.
0: Unbelievable. I mean, very well thought out, very well integrated and coordinated um, and, and done at speed. I mean, that's, that's the other remarkable thing. Y'all moved very quickly, um, you know, to the point where I don't, I don't know how much you sleep at night, though, given all the the workload. In addition to, um, you know, trying to to source the practices to acquire and uh, build out your internal team that is externally focused. I mean these these are these are no small feats. And and I mean, I think it also goes without saying that you drew upon a lot of um, the. The successes that you had created but also the systems that you've been a product of at heartland so this is this is not for the faint of heart and i don't want a lot of our audience going out and trying to acquire 20 practices <laughs> by the end of of you know but within the next 12 months i mean but you know to your point you if you're if you're learning If you're if you're getting your hands dirty in all aspects of it, and you're learning through each turn and each phase uh, of the the business growth, then you feel like you're you're building a firmer foundation at a faster clip, and and um, that's a a story worth telling there for sure. Um, I I wonder, I, I wonder if you might, you know, if you're thinking through those first three year or, um, yeah, you know, uh, 12 to uh, 24 months or so. Um, what do you think maybe, if you don't mind me asking, what's one of the biggest mistakes you made along the way um, or, or just a, a mistake that would be uh, illustrative or educational for our audience?
1: Um, I think the biggest mistake is not knowing what our core philosophy for how we're going to develop the company to be. So you've heard the face many times, hey, you've seen one DSO, you only seen one DSO because every DSO is fundamentally different, even though they all sound the same. But at the time when I was developing my company and trying to support these offices, I realized that no matter how similar or how much I was brought up in Heartland, what, what I used to do in Heartland, what my team used to do in Heartland, it's just not the same when you have a different company with a different set of Offices, a different set of people. And so we have to actually learn, you know, as we're growing up, what we want to grow up to become at the same time, supporting. Uh, so, for example, the biggest mistake in the first year was that we affiliated with a practice and we saw a lot of potential in that practice, but we don't see much potential in the doctor in the team. My team and I decided, like at the time, hey, you know. We like the practice. We don't like the team and the doctor. Why don't we just buy the practice and fire everybody the next day? Because we are so confident that we can hire the right people and the right team, the right doctor within a short period of time, that we might as well not bring the bad, quote unquote, bad people on to the, you know, after the affiliation. So we literally, we bought the practice and the next day we laid off everybody in the practice. (laughs) Whoa! And I can tell you that that practice did not work out. We, as much as we thought we had the capabilities to do it, we overestimated our capability at the time, and uh, and that's a big that's a big mistake. But you know what? We fell forward because we have never done that again. <laughs> but that's how it. But that's one of the biggest mistakes in the first twelve months.
0: Wow. I I have not heard you uh, tell that story, but um, it it takes a lot of humility (laughs) and a lot of uh, of vested ownership to be able to tell a tale like that. But that's uh, super good stuff, you know. Uh, so let's let's not dwell on failure. You've obviously uh, rebounded quite well from from that initial setback, and uh, and have somehow Samson managed to build um, a very reputable, very solid business. For our audience, uh, how? If you don't mind me asking, about how many locations are you all up to now?
1: We have about, we have forty five locations in eleven
0: states. 45 locations in 11 states. That And this is over uh, about a five year run, is it now?
1: Yeah. So we, I guess we were a blessing. One of the blessings this guy's were, you know, because we bought so many between 2018 and 2019, that when 2020 COVID came around, it, it kind of helped us because then nobody was transacting or affiliating because of COVID. So we had to pause for like, nine months to a year worth, and we only affiliated with a handful of practices since then. And then and after that, we slowly ramped back up again in the last two years. So it was it was a good pause for us because we have time to reflect on our mistakes and our affiliations. And we're going back to oh, what can we do to continue internally to improve the efficiency and better support the practices during those COVID years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. E- excellent. Um, So... You know, the business, the, the way the business is situated right now, you have full back end platform operations. You've got business development. You've got clinical skill development. You're recruiting. You're 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 firing on all cylinders. I mean, how do you you know, as you, you created a lot of success for yourself, obviously, within the Heartland uh, System brand model, whatever you want to call it, like within the company, you were a a, a star there, and and now you've you've uh, become a full fledged entrepreneur uh, and created a, a an unbelievable business in a really short period of time, um, and and are continuing to build on successes. How, you know how do you as the owner and founder, how do you feel about the business right now? Like where, for you personally, as well as you know where the business sits itself. Take our take our audience through uh, some of the the Samson mindset right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I think the and I you know a lot of people when I say this they don't really believe me, but I always is a firm believer that practicing as a dentist is crucial to the success of my entrepreneurship. So even though I have been with Harlem 18 years and worked through various corporate roles and senior management, but I've never not practiced as a dentist. So till today, this week, I'm practicing three days a week. Now I normally do about two days a week on average clinician, uh, chair side, but I continue to realize it's an unfair advantage for an entrepreneur to continue practice a clinician i have met many many other clinicians that aspire to become their own CEO of a group practice but they can't wait to stop practicing and jump into the business side of things and wear the entrepreneur entrepreneur has but i always advise them like if you want your business to be successful i believe continue to practice is a it gives you an edge that over a lot of people that don't are not a dentist. Because to me, being on top and being continued to practice, keep your skills sharp, it helps you to relate day-to-day with other clinicians, especially building relationships with the doctors you're already supporting and meeting new doctors that are interested in partnering with your organization. And that that is a common threat that has helped me so many times to... Be more successful in the business development side, being more successful in negotiating, negotiating with vendors because understanding labs and supplies helps you much more than you realize, and having that back and continue to continue to improve the knowledge in those areas. And the last thing is, I think it's just part of a duty to be a dentist. When you went to school four years, you know, to be a dentist because you want to serve patients. And I just believe that. That's just part of my way of giving back. Even though as an entrepreneur, I still continue to give back as a dentist. And that's why I keep practicing. And I mean, of course, I like it. I'm passionate about it. I don't think I ever stopped practicing, you know, even when I turn 70, which I hear the 70s, the new fifty, So I'm (laughs) I'm way younger than that. So that's great. (laughs) So I, I think a lot of those things really tie into my success because, you know, I was able to continue the network. Uh, relationships in the industry to 18 years of Heartland days. And those relationships, because I was a dentist and continue to be a dentist, but they continue to generate referral leads in both uh, recruiting and practice affiliation leads. So a lot of these things are things that you don't realize when you, that you lost until you start practicing. So to me, I will always encourage every dentist to become a CEO. Great, but also make sure you make time out. Continue to practice; it will bring you more benefits than you realize.
0: Well, wow, that's uh, once again uh, great, uh, great guidance and advice. And to to corroborate your point, I I, I get to talk with, work with, um, hear from a lot of people who are building group practices. And exactly what you said uh, is what I hear all too often. And that is that, you know, I I, I want to work myself out of the chair as quickly as I possibly can uh, to take on uh, a full-fledged CEO role. And look, I, easy for me to say, right? I mean, phys- from a, a a, a physically demanding context, dentistry is probably the hardest, uh, medical profession there is. I mean, you're, you're working in a, a small area. It, it's, you're, you're bent over, you know, carpal tunnel syndrome and the, the strain that it takes on shoulders, lower back, um, you know, hands, fingers, everything like that. It is not an easy profession whatsoever. Um, but, and i understand the reason for burnout but at the same time everything you said um totally resonates and i can i can see why that's gonna create more valid conversations with people who are potentially interested in selling their practice or conversations with people who are potentially interested in joining your team i mean there's a there's a heck of a lot of validity to that and i can also hear the the passion that Rick workman had with you back in 1999 still reverberating through almost 25 years later. so that's a um, a, a great um, circle of events there too very very cool um, So Thank Samson you. as we kind of wrap up our conversation today um, you know any I- anything you'd like to share with uh, with our audience about, outlook for your business for the profession uh parting words of wisdom or, or anything like that that you'd like to share
1: yeah uh, well i mean uh, the outlook is positive i believe that dentistry is a very resilient industry and it is no doubt that i'm seeing an increasing awareness in industry a special amount doctor owners and dentists and team about the Consolidation wave that is sweeping the industry. I also know that eventually it will probably be the main form of practice in the industry with group practices versus solo. But uh, I also firmly believe in the model of group practices, and I think that when I started with Heartland, you know they were, they were pioneers in Aspen or Pacific. They're pioneers in the group practice space. So I do believe that as we continue to evolve technology being the forefront of, you know, tool to consult, to help consolidating group practices easier and faster and better and sharing information better and faster. I do believe that if we continue to look at our systems, our, our, each group practice to look at their own systems and continue to improve their platform, that it will become better and better for the overall as an industry, but also for individual practices in raising the quality of care we share with our patients. So I do believe that um, there's a way for group practice to coexist as we continue to grow. I really believe that our model is not, it's just one model. I wouldn't say that we're the best or you know, we you say pearl wisdom, I don't know if So Dental is the best DSO. Yes, I definitely would say we're not even far from the best, but we're always trying to get better. And as soon as long as we're trying to get better, and everybody, every DSO trying to get better, they will find their own niche of practices and groups that want to join them. So I think the biggest thing I want to end with is that when I was growing up in the first few years, I was like a teenager, a baby, just trying to find my own way. And the older you get, the more you discover your core philosophy and your core beliefs. Then you will develop develop a follower a, a tribe of people that will follow you. And because they want to they want to kind of, you know, share your purpose and follow that. So I think the biggest thing is we just need to find that, discover that each person has to discover that for their own practice, own good practice. And as soon as you discover that and your purpose and the more and the better you communicate that, the more effective your organization is going to become and the easier it is for you to build your practice, build your company and build your team. So that's kind of my two cents.
0: Uh, that's more than two cents, my friend, that's, uh, that words of wisdom. This has been a, um, a sledgehammer of an episode. That's just got, uh, key takeaways all over it. And you're a great friend of ours to Walker and I really treasure the relationship we have with you and your team and admire everything you've done. And, and maybe even more importantly, the way that you've done it, um, having the opportunity to get to know you the way we have, they're just some people who are building great businesses the right way and producing great results for it. And, you know, honestly, those are the ones that we pull for and, and we're big cheerleaders for. We want the good guys to win in the end. And you're, uh, you're definitely one of those. And our audience is, is a lot better for the, the time that you've shared with me and with us this afternoon. So, Samson, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show with me today. And I can't wait to have you back again soon. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you. Glad I could help, appreciate the
0: opportunity. You bet, you bet. I know this won't be the last time we talk to uh, to one another. I <laughs> will see you again probably very soon and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast very soon. And we certainly appreciate all of you being in the audience, being a listener and a subscriber to the show. The ratings you give us uh, help with the show rankings and we love when you all uh, take the time to share um, our, our podcast with your colleagues. I can see it in, in the spikes and the download numbers. Uh, and we get a lot of compliments on the podcast. I really appreciate everybody being in the audience. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.